Um, last week I suggested a question that we could ask each other when we came to church. The question was, how are you feeling weak and how could I help you carry that burden? Well, as it so happens, this last week I've been feeling pretty weak. I played soccer for the first time in three years yesterday, so my legs are literally burning still. Um, but just generally, you know, I can't pinpoint what it is. Um, just that general sense of being overwhelmed by all that there is to do and my own inability to do it. And so, to be honest, when I sat down to prepare this sermon, this passage seemed to shine a pretty uncomfortable light onto how I was feeling. Paul speaks here with such boldness about his ministry, and I often feel so timid. Paul just oozes gospel confidence. He speaks with such exuberance and vibrancy. It just feels unflattering to compare myself to this. And I suspect that many of us come to church today in full awareness of our weakness. I don't know what your last week has been like, but you're probably not sitting there in your pew thinking, man, I have nailed it this week, bring on another one. And you maybe read too of Paul's boldness and his confidence and his exuberance and you can't help but feel that you're falling short of what God expects of you. But this passage is not here in our Bibles to make us feel bad. It's not there to pile pressure on top of us. It's not even there just to give us a pep talk. Last week we were reminded that the scriptures are given to us to teach us encouragement and to provide us with endurance. See, these words of Paul here are the word of God. And God speaks them to strengthen us and to embolden us and to equip us to keep going in his service. I think it's always a temptation that we hear God's voice to us in the scriptures coming with a tone of disappointment. But the reality is the very opposite. Here, God is speaking his power into our weakness. He's speaking his encouragement into our discouragements. He's speaking his strength into our fragility, his grace into all of our failures, his mercy into all of our sin. And so what I want to do today is to share with you four things that have been an encouragement to me from this passage. Four things that are true about me and that are true about you as well. And as we consider those four things, may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in him that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Firstly, God says to us in his word today, you are a priest. Paul speaks in verse 15 and 16 of the grace that God gave him to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And he goes on to say, he gave me this priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul had a very unique role in the history of redemption he was appointed by God as the apostle to the Gentiles and God used Paul in a particularly powerful way to see the gospel spread across the world in the early church. Nevertheless, we share in the same priestly calling that Paul had received and we're invited to join in to that same priestly duty. 
And so the Apostle Peter writes in another place, you, that's you, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Brothers and sisters, we are a priesthood. And the whole Christian life has this priestly character. So what is a priest? Good question, I'm glad you asked. Well, at its heart, to be a priest means to be simply someone who has received the grace of God and to be a channel of that grace that you have received. To be a priest is to point people to God as the source of all goodness and knowledge that they would come to understand what you understand, the presence of God, the power of God, the provision of God, and above all else, his full and free forgiveness in the gospel. And there's the key to endurance and the source of our encouragement. Because we have been reading over these last few weeks so many instructions, so many exhortations, so many things to do. But by seeing the Christian life in these priestly terms, Paul is reminding us that God equips us with everything that we need to do what he says we need to do. And so, yes, Paul has written boldly to the church in Rome on a range of matters, and we've read some very bold words. But his writing is a bold reminder of what we already have. So, in verse 14, he begins this section, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. See, what we're reading here in these chapters is not some demand held out over us as if we need to go out and fill up what is lacking in us. We've already been filled. And Paul writes with boldness, not because we need to add something on top of what we already have, but because we so easily forget that we've already been given everything we need. And you see that as well in Paul's description of his own ministry. In verse 16, he doesn't proclaim some message of his own making. He proclaims what he has been given, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his service, what he offers up to God is not anything of his own creation. What he offers back to God are lives transformed by God's grace. He says they are offerings acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And the same is true for us. We don't need to dredge up from within ourselves the resources to live for God. For we have received from God the abundant riches of his grace. And so it's his mercy to us that overflows in our mercy to others. It's his welcome of us that overflows in our welcome of others. It's his service of us that then overflows as we serve one another in the body. It's his love for us that overflows in love for him and love for our neighbour. In Exodus chapter 29, which I'm sure, you know, comes straight to your mind, Um, we read about the ordination of Aaron and his sons as priests to serve in the tabernacle. And the Hebrew term for ordination is literally to fill the hand. At one point in the ceremony, after all the sacrifices have been made, there are three loaves of bread that are placed in the empty hands of Aaron and his sons. 
And it's this reminder to them that as they instruct and teach the people, what they use is given to them by God. And then they take those loaves and they put them on the altar and they're burnt and the smoke ascends to the Lord. And it's a reminder that everything that the priests offer to God was given to them by God in the first place. That is the shadow. And as Christians, we experience the reality of that picture. Through the sacrifice of Christ, we come with empty hands and God fills us with everything that we need to serve him. I remember when I was ordained, my hands were filled as well. They placed hands on me and I held out empty hands and they put in my hands a New Testament. And it was a reminder, and I've needed to remind myself of that this week, that what I have to offer you is not my own unique skills and abilities. It's not anything that I have to conjure up by myself. All I have to offer is all that I would ever want to offer. The gospel of the Lord Jesus who died for you and gave himself for you. Because in Christ, I am a priest. And brothers and sisters, you are as well. And you are also a servant. And again, this is how Paul frames his own ministry in verse 17. He says, Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. Now, that might not immediately strike you as a picture of great encouragement. To be a servant conjures up images of hard labour and painful toil. And yet, Paul glories in this service. It's the driving passion of his life. It's this purpose that has taken him from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, and he hopes onto Rome and then even further onto Spain. And the key to seeing being a servant as a source of encouragement, is there in verse 21. See, Paul quotes from the Old Testament. He says, As it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. And if you look down in the footnote of your Bible, it will tell you that that's a quote from Isaiah 52. And if you flicked back to Isaiah, you would see that it's one of the prophet's servant songs. Isaiah 52 and 53, remember, are these famous prophecies of the suffering servant, the servant who will be stricken and afflicted, who will take up our pain and bear our suffering. And through the suffering of God's faithful servant, people from every nation will hear of God's good news and rejoice in his salvation. Of course, Isaiah the prophet was speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ carried forward by the Holy Spirit. He was speaking of Christ's sufferings, what he would suffer for our salvation. And now here in this passage, Paul is taking up that song and applying it to his own ministry. As we ask at youth group on Friday nights, what's the deal with that? Well, I think the answer is that Paul knows he is united with Christ by God's grace in the gospel. And because he is united with Christ, his whole life is caught up in the story of God's grace. Indeed, Paul looks out at the world as caught up in the story of grace. It's a theatre of God's glory, and he has his own particular role to play. And so that's why Paul says he glories in Christ Jesus in his service to God. It's why he will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through him. 
It's why he doesn't want to build on anyone else's foundation, because Paul's not out there trying to make a name for himself. Rather, his goal is to proclaim the reign of Christ to as many people as he possibly can. Yes, Paul speaks and acts, but all his speaking and acting is animated by the Holy Spirit, as Christ does his work through his apostle. To be a servant of God is not at all demeaning. To be God's servant is to be united to Christ, the servant. See, what a privilege that you and I can call ourselves servants of God. And when you put the priestly picture and the servant picture together, we discover that as we live our lives in this world as followers of the Lord Jesus, God has us completely surrounded by his grace. We come with empty hands and he fills us up with everything we need to serve him. And even then, it's not like he gives us all of those things and then goes, all right, you've got all you need, now you're on your own. No, he fills us with his spirit and so the Lord Jesus is with us every moment of every day. And so when you go out into your workplace this week, you go as a priest and as a servant, which means that in Christ, God has given you everything you need and Christ is with you wherever you go. As you go into your schools this week, you go as a priest and as a servant. Do you know, in Christ, God has given you everything you need and Christ is with you wherever you go. As you speak with your family this week, with your friends, as you have a conversation with your neighbour, even as you interact with total strangers, you do that as a priest and as a servant of the Lord which means that in Christ, God has given you everything you need and Christ is with you wherever you go. And I need to remember that as I serve this church throughout the week, I do it as a priest and as a servant. God has given me in Christ everything that I need and Christ is with me wherever I go. For the world is still a theatre of God's glory and he has given each of us our particular role to play. And in that knowledge, we can dare to speak about Jesus to people who don't know him. We can dare to act like Jesus in every sphere of our life because who knows what the Lord Jesus might accomplish through what we dare to do and say. You are a priest, you are a servant, and encouragement number three, you are a part of a church. And at this point, it's just getting ridiculous. It's grace on top of grace. It's blessing upon blessing. It's vast riches piled on top of already absurd abundance. Because it's in our relationships with each other in the church that we are given a rich and tangible experience of what is already true of us in the gospel. So we've just said that God gives us all we need in Christ. And that provision of God is then echoed in the giving and receiving that takes place between believers in the church. The sort of giving and receiving that Paul speaks about happening between churches spread across the world in verses 23 to 28. And we've just said that Christ works through us and is present with us. And that presence of God is echoed as we gather together as a church and as we pray for one another. Paul says we join with each other in our struggles as we pray for our brothers and sisters in their service. 
See, we're priests and we are servants, but not a single one of us is a lone ranger. We belong to a family of priests, a fellowship of servants, a fellowship that spreads across the whole earth. And as we give and receive, as we pray and provide, we're strengthening each other and supporting each other to keep serving the Lord. And I think there are two particularly delightful comments that draw out the great blessing that it is to be a part of a church in this chapter. And so when Paul outlines his plans in verse 24, he says he will come to Rome that he hopes to go on to Spain after I have enjoyed your company for a while. And when he asks for prayer in verse 32, he urges the Roman church to pray that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. Paul's ministry is sustained in large part by the enjoyable and refreshing company of other Christians. Just being together, reminding each other of the gospel, sharing a meal together, praying together, laughing together, crying together. Those very simple things are means of God's grace to us and God uses our fellowship to fill us up and spur us on. We know that this is true for the mission partners that we support here at St. Mark's. I was speaking over dinner a few weeks ago to James Lane and he was saying what a refreshing day it is for him when he comes and spends time with the brothers and sisters here in Northbridge. There's a small group of people who meet every few weeks to, probably every month or so, um, to pray with Rian and Alani um, over Zoom as they serve God in Japan. And no matter how we all come to that Zoom meeting, we all leave rejoicing and refreshed. Because even more than material provision, it's those times of praying together, and especially those times when we're physically present with each other. That's what truly sustains people in serving God. And what's true on a global scale is true at a local level as well. We come to church not just to receive a download of information, but to drink deeply from the well of fellowship that we have with our brothers and sisters in the church. We enjoy each other's company and in each other's company we're refreshed. And I think that's because when we come together as a church, we're able to instruct each other and remind each other of what is really true and of who we really are. Because day by day, there are so many competing messages, aren't there, that are vying for our attention. But when we come together as a church, we're reminded that the message of the gospel is the only thing that truly satisfies. And throughout the week, we hear so many voices that call us to follow. But when we come together as a church, we tune our ears to hear the voice of God above every other voice. Because he's the only voice that never, ever lies to us. The only truly trustworthy voice there is. And out there in the world, there are so many demands made of us and so many pressures placed on us that when we come to church, it should feel like we can just breathe. We can rest in what we've already been given because we're not truly defined by anything that we have or by anything that we do. Rather, we're defined what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And so when we come to church, we don't need to wear a mask, figuratively speaking. We don't have to put on an act. We don't need to pretend that everything's okay, because as Jasper reminded us, only sinners are welcome at church, and all of us have received forgiveness from the hand of the Lord. And so the church should be a culture of grace, 
like an oasis in the desert. We come to be refreshed by the grace that we've received, to enjoy the grace that we share and to be filled up with the grace that will sustain us in our service of the Lord. And so God's word tells us today that we are priests. It reminds us that we are servants and it tells us that we belong to a church. But there is one final encouragement because all of these blessings come to us in the chief blessing of being known by God. It's striking as you go through that passage again, just how saturated it is with the action of God. The God who calls people into his service and gives them his grace. Christ who works with us, accomplishing his purposes in what we say and do. And the Holy Spirit who sanctifies, who loves us, who powerfully works through us. See, when you boil it down, to be a priest is simply to be someone who lives your life in the presence of God. To be a servant is simply to be a person who has been united with Christ. To be a part of a church is just belonging to that group of people who have been filled with the Spirit of God. To be a Christian is just to be someone who knows God and far more importantly, someone who is known by God. And so if you are feeling weak sitting there in your pew this evening, well, that's exactly the place that you want to be. Because when we embrace our weakness, we can let go of all that silly nonsense of being independent and self-sufficient people and we can collapse into the arms of our good Father in heaven. So we can, in our weakness, we can depend upon God's strength. In our fragility, we can trust in his power. In our failures, we can rely upon his forgiveness. And in every moment of every day, we can be carried along by his grace. Because whatever else we lack, the final verse of this chapter reminds us that we have God. And if we have God, then we really don't need anything else. And personally, that's all the endurance and encouragement that I need. And so... May the God of peace be with you all. Amen.